<laughs> you ever seen a man with his ears burnt off? Well, I have. <laughs> <laughs> yes. After yes, researching have. this episode. <laughs> you, you ever know, seen was... multiple skin grafts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kale and I were talking about how difficult it would be for someone who didn't have ears to wear a mask. What do they do? Oh, oh no. Fudge. Just one of those tie strappy dudes, but that's still quite upsetting. Yeah. That's what duct tape's for, right? I guess so. Oh. Just, just tape <laughs> it to tape it to the sides of your head. I saw three crazy things today in Los Angeles, and I only was outside for like a total of an hour. It was a. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a man with a phone duct taped to his head, and he was riding his okay. bike like a GoPro. Nice. And, okay. <laughs> and then we were in the grocery store, and I saw a, the whitest of the white, kind of Jewish-looking man with a fake afro on. A big ass hole in his pants where you could see his whole ass stealing produce and on the speakerphone with someone be like, No nah, man, she's not black enough. <laughs> <laughs> so strange. And then and then in the parking lot there were two people in a car war. They were like two divorced people or two people breaking up. One was an SUV and one was a sports car. And she's just screaming out the window and they just keep like going, eh, eh, breaking in front of each other and shit. And she's just going, Whoa. give me back my shit. And it was. Oh, shit. It was pretty crazy. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Sunday fun day. I didn't leave the house today, so. Oh, good. I didn't see, see too much crazy things. That's good. You're yeah. in a nice. Nice, good space then. <laughs> now, after what, yeah, t- what we're talking about today. Whew. Yeah, it was rough. Well, welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris Weber. And here with the two most ghoulish gals around, it's Heather Weber. <laughs> Whoa. Hello. And Caitlin Weber. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I was just watching you. Uh, just... The ghoulish gals mating call. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Uh, Halloween edition of a YouTube channel I found called Hollywood Cemeteries, and it's fabulous. But I found out that Lon Chaney is in Forest Lawn, and it's unmarked, and you can go there. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna buy the biggest bouquet of sunflowers for that motherfucker. I cannot wait. Yes, and then I'm gonna tie like lipstick and makeup brushes to it for him, that he can play with at night. <laughs> He'll be so happy. Oh, he'll be He's probably so been happy. dying for something to do. <laughs> 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 what great gifts! <laughs> <laughs> so today we'll be talking about. Um, well, it's kind of like an offshoot of our deadly blunders episode. We'll be talking about two deadly club fire disasters that combined claimed the lives of hundreds: the Coconut Grove Fire of 1942 and the Station Fire of 2003. Stop, drop, and roll, everybody. Here we go. <laughs> you know, that that only does so much. Yeah. That's true. For sure. I mean, and it was great to watch these interviews that the people that were, like, from, from these two fires, that at least some of them re- remembered that, you know, there's oxygen on the floor sometimes still, like, if there's any to be had. Yeah. It's only good if the floor is not on fire. Exactly. Or if there's noxious fumes from foam. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, sometimes with that heat, you know, um, it'll just suck all the oxygen out of the room, which yeah. we'll we'll see what happens uh, with that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. When when they mentioned, oh, I won't get ahead of myself, but yes, 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 it's crazy. Oh, it's okay. 
So, although both of these disasters occurred more than 60 years apart, their shocking similarities put them well beyond just a deadly blunder. In both cases, the level of negligence was criminal, and although many safety regulations came out of the first one in 1942, the second disaster is even more tragic, as it could have been avoided by adhering to those lessons that were learned. A.K.A. Yep. son-of-a-bitch rat bastards that are responsible for this. Yep. Yeah, yeah, just fucking, just people mm. like, don't give a shit, man. Nope. Yeah. Nope, they want that money, though. They want those, <laughs> sell those tickets, sell those drinks. Yeah, well, it kind of becomes like a like a power move at some point, because it's like, I'm, I feel like I'm so powerful, or I have these connections to powerful people that, like, I can circumvent the government, or I can circumvent, like, these, like, legal codes, and it's like almost getting one over on the system. Um, yeah. Cutting cutting corners like any way you can. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Paying off, uh, you know, um, inspectors and things like that. Yes. Or in in the station's case, uh, the inspector's not giving a flying fuck at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just like fucking lazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I'll take a scotch on the rocks. So anyway, who's playing next week? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking great white. Mm, my favorite. Yeah. God damn it, wouldn't you be so pissed if that's the band that you died at? Oh, I know. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> that would be like someone I had nothing else to do that night and someone's like, I got a free ticket, and I'd be like, eh, fuck it, you know. I'll that's get drunk all, and watch happened. these idiots. Yeah. Yeah. In yeah. a lot of cases, people are just going, just going, because middle of February, Rhode Island, there wasn't much going on. Like, why the fuck not? Really? That sucks so bad. Ugh. Yeah, so I guess we'll start with the first one. Um, it's going to be the Coconut Grove Fire of 1942. All right. So my sources for this story are from the American Journal of Surgery. Um, it's an article written by Jeffrey R. Saffel, who's an MD. I got another one from bostonfirehistory.com. Uh, there was a report that came out just after the fire, and it was sort of like an accumulation of their investigations and white witness accounts. Mm-hmm. Um also, from an issue of the National Fire Protections Association, there, were, there was a uh, issue that was just all about the fire. And oh, wow. also, um, I have a bunch of supplementary sources as well. Okay. I also used uh, Fascinating Horror, which is a, a YouTube channel. Oh, I did see that. I know what you're talking I about. I saw mm-hmm. that video, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, yeah he, it's pretty cool. Actually, we were basically spent the rest of the night watching. His channel? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love his yeah, it's channel. pretty good. It's good. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. So, on November 28, 1942, one of the most deadly building fires in history occurred in Boston. And this immediately made me think of the Boston molasses flood. It's just <laughs> like, it, dude, Boston. what the fuck, man? Boston, yeah. get it together. They don't care. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> By 1942, America was recovering from the Great Depression that had ended only a few years previously. And America had also just entered World War II after the bombing of Pearl Harbor less than a year before. So it was like a lot of shit was going on. You they know? needed to fucking cut some rug and drink some booze and up mm-hmm. in that coconut club in that yep. Melody Lounge. All it. And the molasses Hell event yeah. happened also during wartime, which is kind of funny. Yep. Dang. What's that shit? What's that shit? I I can't believe I I missed this joke opportunity, but like that um tape that you they always have on the infomercials where there's like a t- like a, a punctured tank of water and they slap the tape on it 
Or it's oh, like flex tape. Flex tape. Where's the flex tape for that? That's true. You know, you know that would have that would have helped. Exactly. Maybe. Well, <laughs> what's what's the stuff in a can? F- flex seal. Flex, flex seal. seal. Flex seal. Yeah. Flex seal. <laughs> <laughs> You got to point at someone when you say it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That guy is so scary. (laughs) I know. Your tanker about to spill thousands of gallons of molasses? Use it with Flex Seal. (laughs) So on November 28th, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, Boston was bustling with servicemen and civilians all looking to let loose and escape from the harsh realities of the last decade and of an uncertain future. Ugh. Boston was also busier than usual as a big college football match was set. Boston College and Holy Cross College were set to face off that day. Although Boston College lost, many lives may have been spared as a celebration party that was scheduled at the Coconut Grove was canceled, which would have hosted the Boston College football team and like a bunch of fans and shit. Oh so my like, God. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, That's some Beatles. It could have been more packed than it already was going to be. Jesus Christ. Yikes. Why was it canceled? Yeah, do you right. know? Uh, well, well, they all thought that Boston College was going to win, but but the Holy Cross College won instead. <gasps> so like there was no, yeah, so there was no celebration party. No cause Holy for Cross. celebration. Wow. You exactly. saved so many lives. Mm-hmm. Wicked awesome. Wow. Wow. So the Coconut Grove was one of the, if not the, hottest nightclubs in the city. It was opened in 1927 and soon became a speakeasy as Prohibition was in full swing. And the club quickly gained a reputation as being a hangout for gangsters and mobsters. This is due to the fact that the club and speakeasy was financed by those who had connections to the mob. Mm. And in 1931, the club was owned by a mobster named Charles King Solomon, a.k.a. (laughs) Boston Charlie. (laughs) Boston Charlie. Boston, Boston Charlie. Charlie. Hey, both those doors. Nobody's getting out without paying. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> you think this booze is free in so this he... basement? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he owned it for two years until he was gunned down in the restroom of another club. <laughs> oh, <So>. weak man. <laughs> <laughs> So the Coconut Grove went to his lawyer, Barnett Barney Wolanski. Ooh, you're going to jail. (laughs) (laughs) With that name, you're going to jail. His his suit is two sizes too big as well. You're going to jail. (laughs) (laughs) So the club was a one-story building with a large basement, and both floors were utilized for guests. The upper floor contained a large dining room and ballroom, which had a bar, and attached to the Broadway street side of the building was a lounge, which also contained a bar. And this addition had only just recently opened before the, the disaster. You gotta say bah. 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 Sorry. <laughs> no, which also kidding. contained a bah. <laughs> so the basement level contained the beloved Melody Lounge, as well as two storage rooms, a kitchen, and a furnace room. And the club had a tropical theme with many large artificial palm trees surrounding the revolving stage in the Melody Lounge, as well as in the dining room. They were pretty wicked awesome. Yeah, yeah, they were like made and or, you know, decorated with like paper and tinsel. Seriously, before I even knew about this fire, I mean, they had the same kind of design in the movie Aviator with another Hmm. club in Los Angeles called the Coconut Grove, I believe. Or it could be the same one, but... 
they've just like 1930s rendition of tropical stuff. That's 20s, 30s. Oh my God, that was so cool. <laughs> paper yeah. mache. Paper, <laughs> but seriously, even their paper mache stuff was so good looking. Flammable as possible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so the club was also adorned with a variety of flammable de- decorations like bamboo, draperies, stuffed leather. Uh, as well as satin fabric canopies that hung from the ceiling, essentially kind of covering it. And, you know, these are just to name a few of the flammable objects. That sounds just so all fucking over the rad. Place. Wow. Yeah, it was just dude. like a giant match, basically. Yeah, and they said the furniture was like what it was stuffed with. When it burned, it put off a, like, gas that was even more flammable. So it was just like, <laughs> it was his own, like, little... I don't know, ignition point in a lot of ways. Nice. Like a fuel, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's like if it if we got heated up, it would emit this gas that, that was flammable. <laughs> that sounds like a fabulous fire, though. Yeah. Oh, what are you Let's wearing see. tonight, fire? <laughs> oh, the coconut <laughs> girl. <laughs> so the club had also, or also had an interesting feature, which doesn't really play a role after this, but it had a roof that could be opened up for dancing under the night sky. So Dang. Man. That's mm-hmm. cool. Night like early century Dude, ballrooms sound fucking amazing. Ugh. Mm-hmm. Love it. So the Grove flourished under Wolanski and became a popular destination for musicians, celebrities, and movie stars. And it quickly became a familiar fixture in the Boston nightclub scene. The club would also host some mobsters, as Wolanski often boasted about his ties to the mob. And this no doubt helped him to pass safety inspections quickly and without any fuss. Wolanski was unconcerned with any hazards. He had welded shut, boarded up, and covered many of the emergency exits as he was afraid that guests would slink out of them without paying their tabs. God damn it. Which is, like, understandable, but, you know, it's still, like, it's a horrible safety hazard. And, like, I wonder perhaps because of the prohibition that was so much more of a big deal to not pay your tab because it was already kind of difficult to get booze. And he was, like, under that same modality that he had been during the 10 years of the Prohibition. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, like, also just that saving money move. It's like, you know, I'll just weld them shut and board them up instead of, like, paying maybe two or three guys, big guys, bouncers to stand at the exits to make sure people don't leave. Yeah, and I mean, mean? this this is, like, the time when unions and public protection were still in, in infancy and just starting to be, you know... Oh, sure. Yeah, forged. Yeah. yeah, that sucks. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess from looking in hindsight, you know, it just you see all these things like accumulating and oh, just like those bodies. So the official capacity of the club was around 600. But on the evening of Saturday, the 28th of November, more than a thousand people were crammed into the nightclub. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. So singer and pianist Goody Goodell was playing the melody lounge in the basement, surrounded by all these artificial palm trees. And she she actually ends up making it out, and she has, like, uh, writes an account of it and stuff. Um, and that really be, kind of becomes what she's most famous for. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, as being wow. tied to the, uh, to the fire. Yeah. That's crazy. So as the story goes, according to several eyewitnesses, Around 10.15 p.m., a busboy in the Melody Lounge was told by a bartender to go fix a light bulb that had come unscrewed. 
See, the palm trees contain light fixtures inside of coconut-shaped sconces. Which are awesome. Yeah, and this was some really the only lighting in the lounge, so it's always mm -hmm. really dark. You know, it's just very dimly lit. Yeah. Wait staff saw a couple unscrew one of the bulbs in the corner of the lounge so that they could get a little more intimate in the dark. So we could get a hand Whoa. Yeah, pretty Handless. much. <laughs> God damn. You don't need it. <laughs> you didn't need it. <laughs> get a room. God. Get a room. <laughs> you can turn off the lights there and unscrew all the light bulbs you want. Oh, yeah. But you haven't lived until you've had a hand job at a club. Exactly. And you know what? You know what? They said the youngest person there that died was 15. I bet it was a 15 year old. <laughs> That's horrible. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, can you touch it? You know? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I'm like, like not even on. supposed to be here. Oh, I don't know. Like, turn on. off the light or something. So, a 16 year old busboy named Stanley Tomaszewski. 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 Damn, he's, that's hard to say. He was a cutie pie, though. Thomas Jets Joe? Tomaszewski? Tomaszewski? Tomaszewski. Yeah. Never gonna let you down. God damn it. Okay. That's tough. Anyway, face of a bronze god. Stanley T. Stanley T. So. Yeah. So a 16-year-old busboy named Stanley Tomaszewski went to fix the light bulb. Woo! But because it was so dark. I know, I did it. Woo! Yeah! <laughs> uh, God, Polish names. Never gonna give, yeah. never gonna give. <laughs> <laughs> so Stanley T goes to fix the light bulb. But because it was so dark due to the lack of proper lighting, uh, he had to light a match to help him find the bulb. He was mm. said to have fixed the bulb and put out the match. Dang. Witnesses say that they then saw flames coming uh, from the fronds Not where the boy he had just been. on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you all see this hey, trick? Check this shit out. He's 16. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> you ever seen a fire breathing bus boy? <laughs> <laughs> Sanity. That's my name. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> So flames start, you know, coming out from the fronds on this, you know, fake palm tree. And the mm -hmm. wait staff tried to put out the flames, but they began to spread. Man, oh, it turned into, for just a split second, like a, a slapstick routine from, like, Naked Gun or something. But it is so, so sad. <laughs> yeah, well I, well, I guess that had, I guess those palm trees had actually caught on fire before, but the wait staff was always able to, like, put it out in time. <gasps> really? But this time... Yeah, yeah, so it had happened a couple times already. Oh, shit. Yeah. So they attempt to contain the fire by pulling down some of the ceiling draperies, but it was already too late. The yeah. ceiling erupted in flames from the decorations, Those... which began to shower down burning fabric onto the patrons. Man, oh, that, that flame yikes. was like a fucking cockroach where you see one, there's like a million of them uh, in the walls. Yeah. yeah. That's awful. So just like burning... Yeah. Fabric like raining down. Yay. Yeah, it's like satin. Yeah, it just catches fire and it's, yeah, just, people are like trying to pull their coats over their heads and you know. Oh, that God, sounds yeah. really beautiful though, but horrible. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess it oh happens like super fast too. It just like. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Seconds. All takes. Mm hmm. So there were shouts of fire and panic ensued. Patrons in the Melody Lounge began to rush to the only obvious exit. 
the four-foot-wide stairs leading up to the foyer, which contained the checkroom, restrooms, the main door, and an emergency exit. So when the first people exiting got up to the emergency door, they found that it had been welded shut, making direct escape onto the Piedmont Street or onto Piedmont Street impossible. Wow. Had this door been unlocked, hundreds may have been spared. Can you imagine getting to that door and not being able to I open it? You're like, oh my that... god, we're almost to the door, and then it's fucking welded shut. Oh my yeah. god. Ugh. Yep. Yeah, I mean, just like you're you're panicking, and then that just, I mean, probably just ratchets up the panic. You know, that's oh. like making it to a lifeboat and then it capsizes or like something happens, like in the Titanic yeah. or something like. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the lifeboat so. explodes. Yeah, <laughs> lifeboat explodes when you get on it. <laughs> so sad because, like, didn't didn't like four hundred people die in this? I know you'll you'll talk more about well, that. We'll, but, like, we'll, yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah, ugh, yeah, we'll, we'll get so to it. Sad. So as customers kept making their way upstairs, the narrow hallway became blocked with the bodies of those panicking to escape. Bodies hitting the floor. Mm. <laughs> I had to. Uh, so, I had to. I know, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be serious, Kate. I know, I'm really sorry. <laughs> One body to another. <laughs> Aww. It's just, it's just helping me get through this episode. Yep, everybody. Oh, no, it's really cool. <laughs> so some guests and employees tried to escape up the two other staircases in the kitchen and furnace room, but the heat from the ceiling made it impossible to pass that way. Ugh, no. I know. So some downstairs um, escaped through the windows that led out to the courtyard, and some took refuge in the large walk-in refrigerator, and some of the, and these people would survive. Wow, wow that's, that's smart. smart. Wow. But a lot of but a, a lot of those who escaped from the basement were employees, um, because they knew the where exits and like yeah. you know where the windows were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean if because it at some point all the lights go out, and yeah. so regular people don't know where the fuck they are. Yeah, that is one way I would absolutely a thousand percent would not want to die in a group panic, like in a crowd. Yeah. Oh my god, being trampled yeah, or awful. suffocated or anything like that, trapped. To be trapped. Yeah. It's horrific. I know. I hate hate it. Two to four minutes after the fire had first started, the lack of oxygen from the heat generated in the enclosed basement created a fireball that shot up the staircase into the foyer. Only it's kind of like kind of like funneling it like a flume of a chimney. So it just goes up the stairs. Yeah. Like all that shit pushes out. Yeah. And so it it just this fireball runs rushes up the stairs and it spreads out into the main dining room in that front foyer mm. or foyer. And it said that the heat was so intense that some were killed before they could even leave their tables. Uh, one account says that they found bodies still seated in their chairs. I wonder if someone took a shot of fireball before the fireball hit, you know? <laughs> Oh my so, goodness! Yeah, so many Just made like their way. Skeletons in mid, like cheers. I know. I'm having yeah. visions of like an Independence Day and uh, Mars Attacks with the skeleton. <laughs> yeah. Shit. No. Yeah, Mars Attacks for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no. 
So many made their way to the single revolving door that was the main entrance. And as people ran to escape, the revolving doors became clogged and bodies just began to pile up behind them. And people outside watched as patrons were crushed against the doors and just smoke just starts bellowing out. I just want to say this honest prayer now that I hope I never see a uh, doorway filled with screaming faces being burnt alive. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that would be cool. (laughs) (laughs) I could go through my life without that. Yeah. So the huge fireball spread throughout the building, followed by a thick plume of black smoke. The fire traveled along the ceiling, uh, though some described it as just moving through the air. And it quickly burned many, and the smoke began to suffocate people with toxic fumes and carbon monoxide. Well, I learned that actually some smokes can actually catch on fire because of the particles in them. Yeah, yeah so I guess effectively so, yeah. you can have like fire smoke. That's fucking terrifying. Jesus. Not to mention asbestos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the flames made their way to the new lounge off Broadway, and many in that section tried to escape out the emergency door. But as more people pressed their way to the exit, bodies began to pile up against the inward swinging door, blocking it from opening. Uh, so had the do- had that door swung outwards, hundreds may have been saved. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah dude. Yeah, and that's, man, I mean, just everybody's getting crushed and then nobody can, like, uh, just they can't open it, you know? It's just... The fucking uh, parallels man. to the station, by the way, are stunning. Yeah, yeah. Like, crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These exact scenarios in some cases happen in the station, but yeah, it's it's incredible. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, according to an article by William Reinhardt in the National Fire Protection Association Journal, quote, it is reported that perhaps 100 of the fatalities occurred behind the Broadway entrance, uh, which was that inward swinging door. Uh, which was more than 90 feet distant from the stairway leading from the basement lounge where the fire started. Some 200 persons were trapped behind the revolving door at the main Piedmont Street entrance. In addition to those who who succumbed inside the building, a considerable number died after removal from the building due to uh, severe burns and lung injuries, which uh, resulted from the effects of heat and fire gases. Mm. Yep. Yep. So the Boston Fire Department just happened to be close by putting out an automobile fire when they saw smoke rising from the club, and they rushed over as quickly as they could. So they found smoke billowing from the coconut grove and a small trickle of people escaping from the building, many badly burned. They arrived to find over 200 people piled up at the main entrance, crushing each other to get out, but instead blocking the exit. More fire trucks, rescue vehicles, police, and ambulances all converged on the congested street to help with the rescue efforts. And the scope of injuries were immense. Many of the wounded were taken to Boston City Hospital and Massachusetts General Hospital. One fortunate aspect was that these hospitals were fully stocked and ready for such a large number of patients as the U.S. had just entered World War II. The hospitals on the East Coast were ready, and they had run many disaster drills in the event of an attack on the U.S.'s East Coast. That's fascinating. They were well... yeah, 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 it's actually just, like, super lucky. They just, like, yeah, had no like, kidding. a bunch a... of staff and materials and, and, you know, yeah. it's What an interesting development. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they were also, like, well-equipped for burn victims. 
um, because of the results um, in the Blitz of, in, in England and the bombing of Pearl Harbor, they all had an alarming number of burn cases. So they were just anticipating having to treat a lot of burns. Wow, yeah. I bet I bet we learned a lot from World War One and World War Two about how to treat burn victims as well. That's fascinating. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I mean, as we'll see, a lot of techniques are actually come from this disaster, uh, from the fire. Wow. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So. Boston Hospital received 300 victims in one hour, and Massachusetts Hospital received 114 over two hours. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. So back at the disaster site, a temporary morgue was set up in a garage nearby that ended up holding 150 bodies, while the presumed dead were sent to two other morgues. It's Well, it's kind of crazy because, like, they thought some people were dead, and they'd send them to the morgue, um, but they'd find out they were actually still alive. Ooh. And uh, yeah, so they take them to the hospital, and and like some of them survived. Oh, um, my yeah. God! <sighs> yeah, some of the photos of them pulling people out are really, really gnarly. Yeah, it's it's fucking nuts, man. It's rough. Wow. So hospitals and medical personnel were so overwhelmed with patients that were suffering from burns, lung, and other injuries that they developed some new techniques to treat them. So from a write-up in BostonFireHistory.org, quote. Treatment of burns and internal injuries on such a massive scale caused medical personnel to adopt newly developed methods of care. Some methods had been well tested, while others had not. The first recorded general, non-test patients' use of penicillin to fight infection on burn victims occurred at um, Massachusetts General Hospital on December 2nd, 1942. Wow. hmm Wow. Doctors treated burns with solutions of boric petroleum, uh, purple dyes were used to coat the skin and fight infection, and skin grafts were used to help in the healing process. In all, advances in burn treatment were made in four categories. Fluid retention, infection prevention, treatment of respiratory trauma, and skin surface and surgical management. Wow. So it was discovered that many victims, both at the scene and at the hospital, succumbed to pulmonary edema. The edema was caused by breathing in toxic smoke and gases containing pyrolysis, which was caused by the burning of the furniture and furnishings inside the grove. Mm. Yeah. It's too bad. It's hard to be fabulous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, <laughs> dan- it's dangerous to be fabulous. So, Heather, what is edema again? Um, it's swelling caused by ex- excess fluid trapped in your body tissues. Uh. And that's the pulmonary edema, right? Uh, yeah, well, pulmonary edema would probably uh, have to do with the, the lungs, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Oh. So it's just like a fast-acting, ten-acting yeah. pneumonia. Excess fluid in the lungs. Oh, wow. God yeah. damn. So you're just like a walking scab thing infection. <laughs> so like bad. bag of pus. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 nice. I'm interested what the purple dyes were doing. Oh, oh, just like uh, well, I guess it's it's like that stuff that they'll kind of put on um, wounds now to help with infection. You know, it just it almost looks like a like a coat of like brown. I know, but um, like why? Have you ever seen that? Yeah, no, it's a I it's like turpentine. Um, it's, it, it's some kind of chemical. Iodine. It, iodine. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you think that a lot of people would have burned to death, but like 
but uh, most people most people actually died from the inhalation of toxic gases and fumes. Oh sure, I mean that's yeah. how it usually goes, man. That's yeah, uh, it's crazy. Yeah, asphyxiation. So the final number of the dead was 492 victims and 166 injured. Hmm. So it's crazy. Yeah. Goodness gracious. In the aftermath of the disaster, investigations commenced. One of the main investigators was Fire Commissioner William Riley. The investigation had accumulated testimony and witness statements from survivors on the cause of the fire. And many said that the fire started with uh, Stanny T., yeah, um, you know, who had lit the match? While others, yeah, while others believe that the fire was caused by faulty wiring or some other electrical cause, I heard so that. They, a they short... think, yeah, so they think that he, I mean, because Wolanski, you know, cut so many corners that he might have done some hired somebody to do like shoddy electrical work, and he's probably so, like, happy to like think... let it let a like a, take a scapegoat for a little you know sixteen year old boy. Oh yeah, sure, yeah. So so they had thought that like. You know, Stan Stanley going and and turning the light bulb back in that it somehow shorted it out and that caused um, the fire. Yeah. Poor kid, he must have spent so many years just blaming himself for that. Yeah, actually, he got. I mean, he got a lot of shit for like basically the rest of his life. Like yeah. a lot of anger was directed at him. So Stanley was tried, but he was found not guilty as there was not enough evidence to say for certain that he was the cause of the ignition. Wow. And the blame really lay with one man, Wolanski. Good. Yeah. As Robert Moulton, the technical secretary of the National Fire Protection Association at the time, stated, quote, the Coconut Grove nightclub tragedy is clearly due to gross violation of several fundamental principles of fire safety, which have been demonstrated by years of experience in other fires, and which should be known to everybody. So what was more shocking to investigators is that 10 days before the tragedy, the club was inspected for fire and safety hazards and declared safe by a, cap- by a captain of the Boston Fire Department. And the Coconut Grove had avoided getting several permits and licenses for operations for years. So, for instance, uh, Stanny, uh, Stanny T, he was 16 at the time, and he was not even supposed to be working at the club. Yeah. Wow. Wolanski did not get building permits, um, nor did he use licensed contractors. According to the article by Soffel, uh, who was the MD, quote, Wolanski claimed that he didn't need licenses or permits to run his club because he was in with Boston politicians, including Mayor Vincent Tobin. Yeah. The mayor furiously denied his this association, unquote. Oh, wow. The mayor denied it? Yeah. Yeah, he's like, oh, I, don't, he I, I don't know that guy. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> So 10, 10 people were indicted as having some involvement in the circumstances that led to the tragedy, including the fire lieutenant who had, who had inspected the club and the Boston Public Safety Commissioner. But in the end, the blame fell solely on Barney Wolanski. Wolanski was sentenced to 12 to 15 years on 19 counts of manslaughter, which was apparently just an arbitrary number the court chose as, like, representative of the other victims. What? So he gets, yeah. 15 years, like 12 to 15 years. I know it's the That's same. It. Yeah. I don't know. We'll talk about that later, but it was, it is the same sounding as yep. something else yep. we'll talk about. Yeah. But Wolanski had developed cancer and was pardoned by the now governor Tobin after serving that. less than four years. Yep. God he died damn. three months later in 1947. Well, good. Wow. Yeah. 
So he, yeah, he only spent like three and a half years in jail, but yeah, I guess he, but then he dies like pretty soon yeah. after he gets released. Dang. So the exact source of the ignition for the fire is still a mystery to this day, and there are many theories on what caused it. But one thing that is agreed on is that Wolanski and his associates' uh, flagrant disregard for safety regulations and concerns is what caused the hundreds of deaths. So some good things that came out of this disaster were the improvements and reforms to fire safety and the enforcement of codes. Mm-hmm. Exit doors would now be clearly marked, unblocked, and unlocked from the inside. Decorations would need to be fireproof, emergency lighting systems would need to be in place, and revolving doors would now need to be flanked by two swinging doors on either side. Yeah. This tragedy would always be remembered as one of the deadliest single fire disasters in the U.S., only rivaled by the Iroquois Theater fire of December 30th, 1903, in Chicago, which killed 603 people, many of which were children. (gasps) Oh, God. Yep. Ooh, I yeah, I, 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 I haven't <laughs> didn't look into that one. Yeah, yeah. So the Coconut Grove was torn down in 1944. A memorial was erected in 1993 for those who died, and its legacy serves as a reminder to all about the dangerous consequences of negligence and hubris. <laughs> Except for the Dadarian brothers, <laughs> apparently. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, oh, man, man. It's uh. That's awful. It's just, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's it's just that's a crazy number of people, man. Yeah, that's that is absolutely insane. Yeah, when I heard that four hundred number, yeah. I was like, "Fuck." Yeah, more people died than were injured, which yeah, really fucking sucks. Like, a way more died than was injured. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of the deaths were like you know people who got pulled out, but their injuries were just so severe that you know yeah, they yeah. succumbed yeah. to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it just got yeah, it couldn't be saved. Ooh wee. Yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard to be funny on this one. Fire safety, everybody. <laughs> Serious. Oh, I know. All right. Well, I'm covering the station fire, and I I'm sure a lot of our listeners have probably seen at least clips of this video. If not, uh, watch with caution. It's very disturbing. Mm-hmm. So anyway. <laughs> Ugh, sorry, guys. Uh, it's so yeah. rough. <laughs> On the night of February 20th, 2003, the fourth deadliest nightclub fire in U.S. history decimated the small West Warwick, Rhode Island nightclub, the station. An estimated 462 people were in attendance to see 1980s metal band Great White that night. Legendary. So good. One of my favorite bands ever. <laughs> I mean that that album first the first bite oh so good <laughs> yeah I wonder I, I wonder if like somebody from Pink Floyd was involved or Brian Eno or something <laughs> so good <laughs> have you have you guys listened to, to no Light? I just needed to see the record cover it was so lame <laughs> I mean I they in the video they start one of their songs uh, Desert Moon. But <laughs> I thought you were gonna say farting into the mar- microphone. It's like your typical fucking eighties oh, hair so mail bad. fodder. I mean, it's it's nothing remarkable, you know. It's <laughs> it's very typical. So, ninety six people never made it out of the building, and ultimately, the fire claimed a hundred lives Ugh. and injured some two hundred and thirty more. To die for hair metal. 
No thanks. <laughs> now, as we've been discussing, you know, throughout your presentation of Coconut Grove, with most tragedies like this, this fire absolutely could have been prevented, if not for the sheer ineptness, mm -hmm. greed, and negligence involved in its creation. And so I want to cover what went wrong here, as the story has held like a really crazy, morbid fascination over me yeah. ever since I watched that video years ago. And it's to the point where now when I go to like a concert or a club or anything like that, I'm looking for where the exits are. Oh, it, absolutely, it has yeah. scarred me to the point where know, know your exits, people. <laughs> fire, fire Marshal Bill would be proud. I always remember your exit eye. So the video in question was taken by local TV station WPRI videographer Brian Butler. And again, one more warning, not for the faint of heart. If you're going to go watch it, be prepared because you see not only the capture of the fire unfolding in real time, but you also get to see the sights, hear this. Sorry. <laughs> you see the sights. See the and sights. Hear the <laughs> um, you see the sights and you hear the sounds of hundreds of people trying to desperately escape a yeah. burning death trap. Yeah. It's fucking horrific. Yeah, yeah it's, I remember it's, that yeah, you from hear the like first time screaming you showed me. And I, I honestly, I it didn't is, really watch the footage again. Rough. I couldn't. I mean, I remember there's only one time in my life that I've ever screamed for my life because I was that afraid. And it was so loud, people could hear it probably across the park that I was in. I was in a Florida State Fair. So, of course, you could hear these fucking people over this blaze. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's, you know. A lot of people mm -hmm. in there, mm -hmm. afraid for their lives and in pain on top of that. So so, so did the so did Great White um, kind of start playing one by one as the fire, you know, kind of like in the Titanic? <laughs> no. Oh, my God. No. No, it's they, just uh, went, they went back in for their equipment like a bunch of fucking idiots. Yeah, of a couple of them did. I guess they wanted to, Chris, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> that, that would have been a good Titanic moment. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So my primary source for today is John Berelick's book, Killer Show, and I can't recommend it enough. Um, Berelick was an attorney. That's a good fucking, t that's a great title. Yeah. Berelick is an attorney, and he was involved in the station's investigations and prosecutions of the wrongful death and injury cases. So he knows a lot about this case. Oh, front He's, to back, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, it's really an amazing book. So... There is so much detail here that there's no way I'll even be able to scratch the surface of all the nuances of this case. Um, so what I'm going to do is focus on the station itself and its setup and like a general overview of the events that unfolded that night. All right. So the building itself had a few functions over the years. It had once been a restaurant and was also various bars under changing hands before it became the station. Brothers Jeff and Mike Dardarian were the owners of the station in 2003. When the brothers weren't running the club, Jeff was a TV reporter, and Mike sold insurance and investments. And these two classy so are fucking pieces of work, man. Nice. Oh, my God. <laughs> they were known in the tour circuit to short bands their pay, like, <sighs> regularly. Uh, they opted to pay their employees under the table, I mean, who knows why? It couldn't be anything to do with 
like trying to cheat the government or anything. Oh, I had an employer <laughs> like that and they a hundred percent were doing tax evasion for yeah. sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, they cared little for putting too much money back into the club, such as a fire sprinkler system. And they even tried to sell the building in which they were under lease to, to other buyers when they were getting tired of running the club. So they actually took like a down payment for the, to, to try to sell the club. And then the buyers actually called like town hall and found out that the building was actually owned by like a real estate company. Wow. <laughs> oh, so they didn't really own the building. They own, no, they own like the, the club, but they didn't own the building like... I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, they, they're releasing the building, the property. No, that makes sense. Like they own the club, but they don't own the building. Not the real estate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. So in line with the Dedarian's lack of involvement in the small details, there was little to no training given to their employees upon hire. Former employees recall that no fire safety protocol was reviewed, nor were they shown where the fire extinguishers were at any point. It was just kind of like something they had to figure out. Oh, that shit, I think it works. I don't know. Uh, don't forget to water down the vodka, huh? <laughs> <laughs> the Diodarian brothers are, like, thinking, flashing back, and they're, like, fighting with these fire extinguishers, like, spraying each other. Oh, my God. <laughs> and office chairs, like, pretending that they're jetpacks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love you, bro. I love you, too. Oh, my God. So, the brothers tried to, and successfully, increased the occupancy of the building to sell more tickets. So over time, the fire marshal's permitted building occupancy would rise from 50, from when it was a restaurant, to 253, max capacity, to 317, and then to 404. Now keep in mind, there wasn't really... a million! We don't... Do... <laughs> what and there wasn't numbers? really any, like, major just... construction, like, additions or anything to it. Um, its Its function had changed, like, so they had tables taken out because it was no longer a restaurant there's there's more standing room and like space per square foot per patron Uh, we're just giving space away (laughs) yeah yeah so i mean they were told by the marshal that if they removed the tables chairs and all the furniture they could have more standing room and okay yeah so the uh, capacity increased by way of that but take out the fire extinguishers too that'll like give us about another five people worth of room it's just ridiculous though when you look at like uh, Berlick, he shows like a, a map of, of the club itself and like what that capacity looks like. Yeah, I saw that like, shit. Mm. And it's it's like... You even see the footage and you're like, damn, that doesn't even look fun. It's so cramped. Packed in like sardines. It's ridiculous. And you're so close to the band, like just anywhere you stand. It's is just is like, there a better yeah. way to see Great White? <laughs> That's very true. Man. <laughs> everybody's getting laid (laughs) but like even with the capacity being up to this ridiculous number they would advertise to traveling acts that they could their capacity could actually hold like the 500 to 550 range dude right (laughs) so there were four exits within the station there's the front door and the stage exit and those two were the most prominent to the club guests that, those so, are like, the, ones... the, the, most, uh, the most obvious exits. Right, exactly. Mm. Now, the kitchen exit was really just available to the staff. I mean, you wouldn't know it was there unless you worked back in the kitchen. Sure. And the bar side exit was behind the horse-shaped, horseshoe-shaped bar that was 
like kind of off in another area of the club, kind of away from the the main stage. So you really wouldn't notice that door either, especially like thinking about it being crowded and, you know, you just wouldn't notice it. Especially if you're an audience member, you know, like you're already tripping noxious fumes. Like how the fuck are you going to get to that side of the goddamn club, you know? Yeah. The front door exit not only had a bottleneck of sorts right outside the ticket booth. I think you said something like 33 and a half inches at at one point. I was trying to find the exact measurement, but I couldn't find it again. It was ridiculously small, though. Not only was that bottleneck there, but the floor was also tiled and kind of sloped downwards towards the door, the front door. Mm. So the stage door at the back behind the stage That was manned by security guards who were told the door could only be used by those with the band. And that will be important later. (laughs) Oh, oh, man, I'm imagining it's like people are screaming on fire and he's like, whoa, 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 you're not with the band. I'm sorry. Fucking basically. Because the VIP pass and your hair's on fire. (laughs) So anyway, those those are those four exits. Two of them are basically hidden from view and the one is just kind of like a hazard anyway. And then the stage door is guarded by a bunch of fucking idiot bulldogs. Mm. So the walls surrounding the stage had been haphazardly fitted with 900 square feet of egg crate polyurethane packing foam, non-fire retardant. And this was purchased from an angry neighbor of the club who often complained of noise. He worked for this foam, foam company. So the Dadarians figured they'd kill two birds with one stone please the guy by making a purchase and Uh, also say we're attempting to dampen the sound so you don't have to worry about it. Oh my God. It's not even a good thing to use. No. I was going to say, I do a lot of foam cutting at work to make sets and you usually have to wear like a special chemical, like, you know, a ventilator, aspirator kind of thing because it's the fumes are so toxic from foam. It's essentially compacted plastic it's and chemicals and chemicals it's so bad it's just disgusting stuff so the foam panels were glued in place by none other than the dadarians themselves they just bought like a pallet of this of these panels and fucking slapped it up with spray on a heat adhesive (laughs) that's Uh, even (laughs) that's that's even more toxic That's so horrible. damn. What what do they do with all their time? I mean, they're saving time, so much time, so much time, and money. Yeah, dude. And mm-hmm. to make matters worse, the drummer's alcove had already been fitted with foam block by the previous owner, like a white foam, almost like styrofoam block. Mm-hmm. So they simply glued the polyurethane over that fucking foam, <laughs> which uh, I, that can't be good. No, no. (laughs) So, you know, with all that combined, trying to please the neighbor, complaining to the cops all the time, not wanting to spend money, they just, again, haphazardly tried to, you know, make the situation better, quote unquote. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) We were just trying to be be good neighbors, you know? Yeah. I I hope that guy feels bad or thought about it, the one that sold them the foam. Well, see, they also, like, a salesman came to them, right? And they did have fire retardant options available. There were several different types of foam they could have chosen from. They chose but, the of course, the polyurethane one. was cheaper. Yeah. 
why spend more money? Well, Assholes. I mean, well, and that guy, I mean, also the guy who sold them the thing should have probably known he, too. Like if they're like, oh, hey, Robert, we put this up in our club as a noise dampening, you know, foam. That's true. Been like, hey, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I guess, you know, hey, money's money. Yeah. I think actually the foam company was involved in the lawsuits as well. They, there is yeah. a huge list of people that were involved <laughs> oh, in these yeah. lawsuits. Mm-hmm. So the fire insurance inspectors were less than thorough, as they had overlooked the installed foam, foam for three years in a row, never raising concern about its blatantly shoddy installation, nor checking in on what quality it was and what type it was, if it's fire mm-hmm. retardant, anything like that. Yeah. Berlick also asserts that the inspectors may have never even entered the building to closely assess the conditions, maybe just doing a drive-by saying, yep, the building's there. It's good. It's taped together today. That's nice. <laughs> well, there's no there's no screaming on fire people. Yeah, I see <laughs> you installed some zip ties. That's good. <laughs> Furthermore, the Dadarians had allowed, if not encouraged, pyrotechnic displays within the walls of the station before. Of course, these had no legal permits nor any regulation whatsoever. So they were able to prove that, right? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because I'll get to it later, but, um, well, right here. So Jack Russell's Great White was on tour after years of obscurity. Um, (laughs) They were an aging metal band whose front man was still caught in the memories of of the glory of bygone years. What You know, he's still... Still all rock star, baby, yeah. in his mind. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe I'll get a hand job before before bed this time. <laughs> before I cry myself to sleep already. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted the shows to be a rowdy spectacle. And pyrotechnics are fucking badass. I mean, after all, Kiss Hell has yeah. them. Sabbath has them. Like, mm-hmm. why can't I mean, we? Is it a rock show without pyrotechnics? That's very true. A lot of mm. them I have. <laughs> <laughs> so his road manager, Dan Bichel, apparently thought it was a good idea, too. And he, not a licensed pyrotechnician, he created the gerbs for the band show himself. And now the, the gerbs are kind of where the sparks come from the tubes like, sure like kind of like a squib in movies but it's like a mm-hmm. spark shower <laughs> so spark shower! <laughs> <laughs> and then i and then i spray beer all over everybody it's right over <laughs> your big old titties <laughs> so also on that february night budweiser was running a promotion on their newest marketing concept born on date beer you know, when you look at a can, it, it tells you what date it was brewed. Yeah. That was like a new thing back in 2003. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> so they brought in reps, merch, and plenty of this new beer to offer to the patrons. And this undoubtedly drew in more of a crowd. Hell yeah. Now, now Berlick also points out that with a company as large as Budweiser, it is inconceivable that they did not raise any eyebrows at the prospect of pyrotechnics at this show, nor did they ask to see a permit for the effects. Like, you'd think a company as big as Budweiser would check in on stuff like that. They're just like, Sparks and Shots, how about that? I mean, yeah, but that's kind of not, I mean, their fault or their problem, really. I mean, they're probably like, yeah, they're a band, you know, like, they they know what they're doing. I don't know. I I, kind of would wouldn't see Budweiser being, you know, 
Yeah, I've seen Jared some like shot of some of those people at total shitholes. I'm sure that they don't care. I mean, I guess with pyrotechnics, it's very emphasis is heavy on on like the permits safety, safety and oh, I see. okay and yeah. licensed pyrotechnicians like on a yeah federal that's true level. Yeah. yeah I guess I so, guess they should have asked to see permits yeah just uh for the yeah safety. I mean I'm not yeah. blaming I I don't think they're no. to blame at all but I mean that should definitely be a part of protocol I think sure. right yeah I just think that chains don't give a fuck and their last the last thing they're concerned about is any of the um facilities that they're in yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be fine. So later in court, the Dadarians assert that they never gave permission to Great White to set off the pyrotechnics. But of course, the band said they definitely did give them permission. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably going to side with Great White here, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, of course, especially <laughs> no, if it's... you said there's evidence that they had said, do whatever the fuck you want before with that kind of thing. You know? I mean, they've, they'd had pyrotechnics inside before, so I, I'm not really sure. Exactly, like, yeah. How are you going to deny that now? But whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they got, like, bottle rockets hanging out their pockets and shit. And I mean, <laughs> yes. I, I assume that they're ha- at least halfway professional and would mention it, and especially in, you know, something with such a small capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there were two opening acts that night before Great White went on. At 11.05 p.m., Great White opened with Desert Moon. Right as Bichel, their road manager, let the two homemade gerbs to either side of the stage. They were 15 by 15 gerbs, meaning that they would emit a 15-foot-high fountain of sparks for a duration of 15 seconds. <laughs> not, not, is, don't need to do math on that one. That is one of the silliest names for a deadly, like, you know. Gerb. Gerb. It's Gerbs. like a flail or something. <laughs> Just funny. After the Gerb ignition, flames can be seen on the walls only seconds into the oh, opening yeah, song. For sure. And I remember real quick, like, I watched an interview with one of the, the, the survivors of it and or just in general about the incident. And they said that, like, we're never going to play Desert Moon again because of this, you know, whole catastrophe and stuff like that. And then, like, two years later, they play it, you know, on some kind of reunion <laughs> tour. Like, I mean, they, they do not give a fuck. I don't know. It was no, their dude, billboard like, hit. I mean, how are you going to yeah, avoid playing Desert Moon if you're going to tour? <sighs> but, yeah, the, they're full of shit for sure. Yeah. Now, as the band played on, at first blissfully unaware that the foam surrounding them had caught fire, many patrons can be seen starting to panic, but even more of them seemed to not notice or care. However, within 30 seconds, the blaze had intensified to beyond the point of question. I mean, this shit was going up like crazy. Uh, It went from woo to uh uh-oh. Yeah. (laughs) 33 seconds into Great White's performance, the band stops playing, and Jack Russell says over the mic, wow, that's not good. <laughs> yeah, this... He says it like this, wow, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> no, the band stops playing, and he looks, and he's like, wow, that's not good. You yeah. can see oh, it on the shit. video. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. By this point, a sea of hundreds of patrons are making their way to the front door. 45 seconds after ignition, the fire alarms start to go off. There's only 45 more seconds left to escape this building alive. Butler, the videographer, moves slowly toward the front door himself, all while filming. 
He was later sued in court for allegations of him impeding others' escape because he was blocking the exit path by trying to get the shot. Dude, what the fuck? Did he really? Yeah. They were suing everybody, man. It was, look at this court document list. It's insane. Yeah, man. Like, like you have one or more family members die in this thing. I'd be suing like crazy, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, dark smoke is filling the air above the concert goers' heads and the yelling and screaming of the patrons crescendos. As before mentioned, the hall leading out to the front door not only had a downward sloped floor, but right outside the ticket booth, the hall bottlenecked into this insanely small opening. These factors combined with the rising panic, heat, and blinding smoke created a domino effect for those attempting to escape. Now, in the meantime, behind the stage, at the stage door exit, several patrons are attempting to escape there. Reports by numerous attendees say that the security guards denied them exit because the door was only for people with the band. Keep in mind, the room was fucking on fire at this point. Like, what? (laughs) There's no doubt if this door had been unimpeded, many more lives would have been saved. I just can't fucking believe this shit. Did those those bouncers end up getting in trouble for that? Probably. Uh, They they were taken to court, too. I... I don't remember what happened with their Dang. trials. Um, well, I hope at least now, They're like, well, I'm with Great White, and I'll die before I let anybody come out this yeah. door. <laughs> now, like what you were saying with inward swinging doors, mm-hmm. the backstage door had an outside door that swung out and an inside door that swung in that was actually covered with this foam as well. <laughs> and for three years in a row, like when the fire marshal came to inspect, they would take the door off the hinges for the inspection because it was illegal to have that type of door oh, swing inward. Dicks. So oh, they'd hang man. it back up when the inspector left. What? Like, <laughs> just, Jesus. Fucking yeah. dickheads, dude. Uh, so at a minute and 30 seconds of the video, Butler was one of the fortunate ones who had exited the building through the front door unharmed. Now, in his account, he says this. That's when I turned back. I went around back. There was no one coming out the back door anymore. I kicked out a side window to try to get people out of there. One guy did crawl out. I went back around to the front again. And that's when you saw people stacked on top of each other, trying to get out the front door. And by then, the black smoke was pouring out over their heads. Was anybody attempting to pull their bodies out? Yeah. Ah. In Brian's video, you can see just this happening. Approximately two minutes have elapsed, and now the domino effect has created a large crowd of people that are wedged together almost to the ceiling in a pile, screaming and flailing their arms as others who have escaped try to help unwedge them one by one with little success. A few were freed from this trap, but there was precious little time. Bodies were being crushed beneath the weight of panicked victims trying to escape. By now, black smoke is pouring from the open door and busted windows. The smoke became so thick that no light was visible beyond 12 inches through it, and only two or three lungfuls of this smoke would knock you unconscious or even kill you in some cases. Exactly. Yeah, actually, it's funny. with the um with the coconut grove fire um 
one one investigation had you know because they talked about the lights going out and it was so dark nobody could see but yeah. one investigator was like actually the smoke may have been so thick and the room so dimly lit that um you know it just blocked all the light right it was just it was the, the thickness of the smoke i mean yeah um, I, that, very that possible blinding. Mm-hmm. I, I remember, I'm sure you might mention this, Heather, but like I was watching an interview with one of the survivors, like a guy was there with his girlfriend and he ended up getting out, but he was with her and he had like got her to an exit and the smoke just hit her right and she died right there. And he was like trying to drag her out. I think that was uh, one of the accounts in the book. Oh, yeah. God. Countless things like that. People trying to escape, like they're holding on to their significant other's hand one second, they're crawling out a window, turn around, and then they're gone. They never see him again. Just all it takes is a moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like it's some you know it's just so much smoke, and I guess it's probably so dark you can't see. There's bodies. I mean, it's sort of like getting lost in in the woods in the middle of the night. You know, you just like no idea where the fuck you are. Well, not to mention yeah. also the heat. <clears throat> is so yeah. intense mm-hmm. um like above a certain uh height from the floor you can't you, you your skin will start fucking burning and melting yeah. if you if you're yeah yeah mm-hmm. it's crazy mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so many of the people trapped in the front exit were now passing out still wedged in place and effectively being crushed from the thick noxious smoke as the ceiling and foam burned away it dripped like lava onto the skin of those trapped inside, severely burning them. Ooh. Have you ever? Shit is, damn, dude. I mean, I was going to say, have you ever melted plastic and it ends up on your skin somehow? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That shit is yeah, it's so bad. hot. It does so much damage. It's yeah, crazy. and it like fuses to your skin and shit. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah like Berelik does a lot of talks about this around the country and a lot of seminars. Um mm. So he has this video of this burn test that he does. It's like like a burn test, I guess, that's standard for, for things like this. And he takes this like four inch strip of the foam and he lights a match under it and it goes up immediately and like within four seconds completely burned and like fucking melting. Yeah. And it's wow. and like it's not supposed to be that fast. It's supposed to be like twelve seconds and then it it's just incredible. It is how how hot and how fast this shit burned mm-hmm. yeah i mean you know it's yeah it's just going back to that like negligence you know just they yeah oh uh, god yeah that's also capitalist fucking capitalism run amok too because it's just like these companies can make this shit you know out of these materials you know and, and these chemicals and stuff and it's usually just to save money on on costs because it's just cheaper to do it that way yeah and Man, just, yeah, just that foam is so sensitive to any chemicals or heat that you can't even put spray paint on it because it melts it. It's so yeah. crazy. That's yeah. Oof. So it's absolute chaos outside at this point. Patrons in a daze, their skin blackened by the smoke, wander aimlessly or run into the night screaming the names of those they were with. Just minutes later, like two minutes later, after the shot of all the people wedged in the door, the entire building is engulfed in a raging inferno. This thing is incredible. 
I mean, um, they, they happened so fast because I think the, the yeah. Coconut Grove one, I, I think it was like... And no more screaming. I mean, 15 minutes and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like the fire is just all, all, everywhere, you know? Right. Smoke's everywhere. There's a shot of the people in the doorway. Yeah. Get oh, it's fuck, bad. Get the fuck out of here. I'm so glad I haven't seen that. So this inferno took 96 people with it, including great whites guitarist Ty Longley. Oh, man. And to compound the what can go wrong will go wrong theme here, uh, there was inadequate room for fire trucks to make their way to the buildings, like no fire lanes. Nor could they get as close as they needed to in order to more quickly extinguish the fire. But, you know, in reality, it only took 90 seconds for the station to get to the point beyond saving. And I don't think by the time the fire trucks could get there, it wouldn't have made a difference. I mean, it was already minute 30 seconds, just Mm -hmm. like a torch. It was the same thing with Coconut Grove, too. It was just, I mean... I mean, luckily, a lot of people were able to, like, almost instantly be there um, to help out right. the rescue efforts. But because of how the acceleration of the fire and then just how fast everything happened, I mean, yeah, it was kind of too late, you know. Yeah, I, I was just having a random thought about the aftermath where, like, it's like, you know, a lot of these par- parked cars probably made it hard for um, fire trucks to come in. Can you? I hope that they had somebody tow these cars away, one by one, instead of having the family come and pick up these cars and see the place where their member died or something. That's it's kind of funny, because that's kind of one of the next things I'm going to mention. Wow. Um, within 45 minutes of the fire start, footage of this tragic event was being broadcast throughout the nation. I mean, um, nom, 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 nom. Oh, yeah, all that's, over a, that's the news. a good story. So, of course, this alerted families and families of the ones who attended the show that night rushed to the station after unanswered calls. Uh, Others filled hospital waiting areas to try their luck there. Uh, Berlick writes, many returned to the remains of the station the next morning, hoping they would not find a familiar car still parked in the club's lot. So just imagine that. Uh, it's horrible. Yeah. Ugh. So, come February 21st morning, the smoldering wreckage was surrounded by burned clothes, bandages, and gloves, bloody blackened snowbanks, and television crews. Firefighters spoke the phrase, bodies stacked like cordwood, as the remains recovered from the burned club accumulated in body bags beneath shielding tarps. The fire investigation was already underway as the station still smoked beneath those charged with recovery. Hospitals were inundated, and ambulances have been replaced by hearses. Ugh. <sighs> Just awful. <laughs> never, never do anything. Never go anywhere. <laughs> Live in a bubble. <laughs> I yep. have to say, I have to say, like, out of the, there's, like, top five worst things I've ever seen in my lifetime, and this is one of them. And I, ha- I mean, I know you showed me, Heather, years ago because it was you know, interesting and and stuff, but I never forgot it and I never will. It's just so yeah. awesome. Same here. Same here. Now, even though the Dadarians owned the club, they were not the ones solely responsible for this, as we were talking about, you know, mm-hmm. people selling the foam, fire marshal. Yeah, there's always a lot of like, 
I know because it just becomes a perfect storm of negligence. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it on yes. so many different facets. I mean, at the end of the day, it lies with one person or with like the owner, in my opinion. Yeah. But you know, it's definitely they're not alone in the in the responsibility. Right. But you know, but but at the end of the day, they're the ones who own the business, and you know have to oversee and make sure things are being right. done. Yeah. But I mean, it's definitely, definitely, definitely fire inspectors, you know, well, responsibility also, as well. Yeah. And, and and another thing about this was there in Rhode Island, there's like this grandfather clause about like, if you have a building that was built before uh, these regulations went into place to have these sprinkler systems, as long as the capacity was under a certain amount, you weren't required to install it unless a the capacity increased or the building area increased. So they kept it under the guise that it was still a lesser capacity, huh? Well, they sh they needed to because the capacity had increased beyond the point of the requirement to get this mm -hmm. thing installed, and I think it was only something like twenty nine or thirty nine thousand dollars to have it installed. Um, I mean, which is a lot of money, but fucking lose yeah. your entire club. It's worth it. I it seems like. <laughs> Shouldn't yeah, skip, no. Skip on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's. I don't know. It it should be one of those things that you put into the costs of of purchase or you know right. or, or yeah. Certainly. Just, yeah, yeah. Because in the end, it just it's a lot to spend up front, but in the end, it's you know. Yeah, and if you want to put those butts in seats or standing room or whatever, if you want to increase your capacity, then you need to accommodate everything, including safety protocols but when we can't have pyrotechnics because they'll set off the sprinklers god damn it <laughs> oh yeah that's a good and point. as we all know pyrotechnics bad fucking sweet man god <laughs> nothing nothing like a budweiser you know to go with your your pyrotechnics watch them those pyrotechnics yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah it's just sick it's awful yeah so with all the plaintiffs and defendants involved here, the trials for the criminal prosecutions and civil lawsuits went on for several years. I mean, there's just so many people involved in oh, it. It, sure. it went on and on and on. But as for the outcome of the cr criminal prosecutions, Berelick writes, the road manager for Great White, Dan Bichel, served 16 months in prison after pleading guilty to 100 counts of involuntary manslaughter. One of the club-owning brothers, Michael Dadarian, served 27 months in prison after pleading no contest to 100 counts of involuntary manslaughter. The other owner, Jeffrey Dadarian, entered a similar plea. However, his entire 10-year jail sentence was suspended. He served no jail time. Neither Great White frontman Jack Russell nor the West Warwick Fire Marshal Dennis LaRoque was charged with any crime. How? I mean, like, how did they come to that conclusion after? I I didn't get that deep into it, um, because I actually haven't. I've I have a few chapters left of the book, and it's it must I think, be probably where they talk about the the proceedings right. in depth a little bit more. It must be an absolute obstacle course on how they got out of that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I I have to give you guys this link to this Google Drive file. It is incredible how much information is in it it sounds like it sounds like the band yeah. manager is the only one out of this whole thing that took the most accountability and responsibility for his actions yeah i mean he was he was gonna plead no contest but 
Um, he, he decided to plead guilty from what I heard. He did. He, he decided to plead guilty because he said, uh, I just want to get this over with, you know, take a sentence. Man, and... dude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, I mean, I guess they were kind of like really responsible for like the ignition. But I mean, to just totally like to just totally dismiss like the Dadarian brothers. Yeah. The flying Dodarian, the burning Dodarian brothers. <laughs> Fucking tools. Um, yeah, just, just, but just to like overlook them, that's, that's just, I, uh, the justice system is very flawed. Oh, this whole system is flawed, <laughs> yeah. Well, sorry, I gotta, I gotta sing it like Great White. The justice system is very flawed. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so as for the civil lawsuit settlements, uh, 27 individuals and corporate defendant groups contributed to the total settlement fund, $176 million, with the largest single contributor paying $30 million. The balance of the fund after legal, legal expenses was distributed to persons injured in the fire and to the families of persons killed in the fire. So, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big uh, payment, but of course, no, nothing's going to replace a family member. Fuck now. Except one hundred seventy-six million dollars. No. <laughs> yeah. Split be it between all these people. I mean, I can't imagine oh, how yeah. many people had to split that. Yeah. I was just thinking uh, the Jack Russell guys. Like, you know, he's like not guilty. My God, that would be a great song name. Oh God, <laughs> won't it? Did oh, sir, that's already taken. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, much like Coconut Grove, this tragedy also resulted in stricter fire codes and better enforcement in Rhode Island and also other states. Uh, Governor Carcieri, or Carcieri, I don't need to get fancy with the Italian, I yeah, guess. Yeah, fuck them all anyway. <laughs> no, I'm, <just> <laughs> I'm sure uh, he'd he appreciate it. <laughs> so the governor declared a moratorium on pyrotechnic displays at venues that hold fewer than 300 people. I oh, guess that's a start. I see. So, I mean, there's a lot of survivor videos you can watch, and it's it's oh lord, there's... many of them are are very scarred. You, it's, it's mm. awful. I saw the one yeah. of, of of one woman, and she had one of her ears burnt off. She has yeah. no hair left. There was just skin grafts immediately. Just yeah, awful. Just like eighty percent of her body was just what is it? third degree burns or yeah fourth there's degree. even fourth degree burns fourth i didn't degree know burns. that was a thing yes down but to apparently the bone. fourth degree yeah. down to the bone yeah yeah man it's like and also those who got out you know it's just like yeah. that the feeling of helplessness because you just like there's nothing you can do even like or those trying to help and it's just like i like nothing you can do it's it's got to be can awful. you imagine the nightmares and ptsd that would come with surviving that getting out of that right? thing Mm-hmm. yeah yeah now like where the station used to to be um there's like a makeshift memorial made by people who oh i saw that you yeah. know lost people I like know that was on the ground hundreds oh, yeah. of white crosses um wow you know just just different little things that they they put there so um we take anything away from this i think we've mentioned this a couple times know where your exits are <laughs> when you're going somewhere yeah find a club Concert venue, 
you know, don't assume that every establishment that you enter has your safety and best interest in mind because they mm -hmm. always don't. Absolutely. And they might be Dadarians and you never know. Yeah. If, if um, it smells like, like mildew or pee, that's a real good time to ask questions. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, and Verilic says, be your own fire marshal and make make sure you have an awareness, if not a plan for a quick escape, yeah, that man. you're next to an exit. I mean, um, yeah, it's like you have to be also like, how are you going to know that's polyurethane foam? Like, how are you going to know that if you're not an expert of that? Like, no, that's you don't. crazy. Yeah. Little things like that. You don't know what's even inside the walls that they're cutting corners on. Like, that shit's crazy. Right? Yeah, you just never know mm -hmm. what will go wrong and, and when it's going to go wrong. It's something I, we never know. And I mean, I remember so. being a kid and in my early 20s being like either at a job or in a like, you know, school or a college. And there would be like crazy fire safety precautions or days or yeah. things where I'm just like, sure, Ugh, you know, kind of thing. But <laughs> it's important. It's very important. So, important. yeah. So that was the station. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Yeah, it was, it's uh, hard to be funny or hard to make jokes on this episode. I know, I wasn't you know? looking it's, forward it's, to yeah. this one, to be honest. It's pretty fucking horrible shit. <laughs> not that, like, <laughs> it's not interesting or whatever. It's just, like, <sighs> heartbreaking. Just. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I've watched the video a couple times this week, and I think I'm good for a while. I don't ever plan to watch <laughs> it again, and no. Yeah, I, I didn't know about the uh, about the Boston one until you brought it up. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's ooh, dude, just like uh, if there are five horrible ways that I never want to go, you know, like never want to die. Burning is one of them for sure. Oh yeah, no, and, and also panic. being e e being oh, eaten panic. alive by wild animals. That's my first. Which one? Eaten by wild. Being animals. eaten alive that's by wild one, animals. Oh yeah, yeah, that would suck. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. Ugh. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. <laughs> they they also Ooh. say sometimes when you when you're burnt to death your your uh skin cells are die so quickly and you're you know, you, you get numb really quickly and you pass out. So it's not you're not in pain too long. Yeah. But I'd still I would still think that oh, excuse me. I would still think that that's like the moments you are in pain is enough. Horrific. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, even just like the atmosphere that's described is it's just it's terrifying, you know. Yeah, just I mean, it's just just the fear. utter like hysteria and panic like happening all around you, and then you're probably also swept up in it. It's just oh, no yeah. way, man. I could imagine anything worse, you know, uh -uh. than just yeah. yeah, just awful. Just people, people basically, you know, and I mean, and for good reason, but like kind of like reverting back to like a. Animal. like an animal state like a scared animal you know it's mm -hmm. just like yeah just just like escape run you know and yeah and, yeah yeah survive it's crazy mm -hmm. yeah and it's just yeah it turns into like a stampede you know yeah and people yeah they don't care that they're you know trampling over others and yeah man so I guess like as hard, a, as a hard to stay cool as a recap like as the audience members who 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 survived? People that headed out windows, like just thought outside the box, were at the right place at the right time. I mean, a lot of people got out through the front door, surprisingly. And, like initially, um, probably. People by the horseshoe bar, there was a bartender. She vaulted over the, 
the bar and exited out that that side exit. Uh, some people escaped through those <laughs> with windows. a bottle of whiskey. Huh? <laughs> she like grabs a bottle of whiskey and just like runs yeah. out. <laughs> I think she grabbed the cash drawer actually. Oh really? She... No shit. Yeah, she. I did. think I think that happened in in the Coconut Grove as well because um some of the first people to get out were like employees and I think yeah. like, one or like. Um, th- that Goody Goodell, Goodell, the the pianist, like in yeah. her account, she was talking about one of them grabbing a cash a cash register and yeah, or like or trying to trying to grab it, and she's like, "Go get the fuck out of here!" Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> well, that bar was kind of far, like a little bit off the cut from the stage, um, so she probably felt like she had more time, but she got out in time. Uh, yeah, it, there's various ways. I mean, other people like went back in to try to help save people. Um, there were actually a couple of people got, got pulled out by the firemen. I mean, that inexplicably survived long enough for that to happen. Yeah, um, no, so yeah, I'll, I'll basically say the same things that happened with the coconut grove too. Just, yeah. And, and, and I think there is some, like you brought up Katie being at the right place at the right time. And I think that's a lot of it, you know, like. Yeah, you're just, in a pocket if you had, if, or something. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe you showed up late and you're at the back of the venue where the where the exit mm-hmm. is. You know, I mean, then then you're gonna be one of the first people out. If hey, you, man! If you noticed in time, fashionably yeah, that's late what is talked also about. a safety strategy. Yeah, but I mean, Berlick talked about it. It doesn't matter how strong you are. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It depends on where you are. When this shit goes exactly. down, because if that you're not is... in a good location, none of that matters. Forget it, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're fucked. Yeah, absolutely. Man, bummer city. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess uh, I guess we should do socials then, unless you guys have anything else to, to add. Um, I think no. we covered, covered what we can about them. Yeah. yeah. I think I I'm mean, good. I guess... <laughs> I guess I, 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 in closing, I would like to say that, you know, there's anything can happen to you anytime. You can get into a fatal car accident sometime, you know. Yeah. A fucking steel bolt can fall out of an airplane and fucking kill you. Like, you, anything yeah. can happen. And it's like, yes, yeah. this stuff happens. Yes, you can be smart about it. But, like, live your life, you know. It's, it's so yeah. important. It's so important to not be afraid. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's like most of us will probably not die in some like disaster, you know. No. But like, or by all the people who do, or they did, like they that. didn't. You know, they thought like it was just usually a normal regular day, or just yep. like you know, they, they you, you never know it's gonna happen. Exactly, you could be in a grocery store and a shooter comes in and starts spraying. You know, killed by yeah. a shark, airplane accident, killed by a serial killer, like you know. But it's still like, it, it it's better. It, like, what what would you rather have? Not living your life and you know wishing for, like, to have done more, or taking your chances. I don't know. I I feel like that sounds a little foolish and weird, but it's just that's that's why I say, dude, never do anything. Have no friends. Go nowhere. <laughs> Because you could die at just, any moment. I mean, I just think things like this, like true crime and, and like going over events like this, like it's really good because if you are ever in a situation, whether it be a house fire or a restaurant fire, 
or whatever, you know, you have this information now of how people survived. And definitely, it sucks to yeah. hear it. And it sucks to know that it exists. And it really sucks to go to such a dark place. But it's helpful. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. We have to, we have to learn learn those history or hit, learn those lessons of history. Absolutely. You know? Otherwise, yeah. we, you know, I mean, then that's what happened with the station. You know, it was it was they they knew, you know, from yeah. because it's I mean, from all the other fires and especially from what happened with the Coconut Grove. I mean, they just decided to totally ignore it and, and right. not take from those lessons. Yeah, you can be you can itself. go to like a concert next time and be a total fucking nerd like packed at the bar trying to get a beer and be like, yeah, I'll take a, you know, I don't know, a Breckenridge or something like that. And then be like, be not a good old American Budweiser. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll take a Bud Light. It sounds special, right? Anyway, are all the exits functioning? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Tell me where your exits are. Yeah. Sweet band, huh? How about the exits? <laughs> Yeah, just like hitting on a bartender and it's just like, so uh, what kind of fire safety protocols do you guys have? <laughs> are all those are all those extinguishers up to code? Because <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, uh, this guy's up to code. <laughs> all right, so I guess we'll do socials. Um, yeah. You can follow us on Facebook at Under the Pendulum Podcast. Instagram at under pendulum podcast, Twitter at pendulum underscore pod. And you can find all our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, or almost anywhere else you listen to your pods. You can find me, Heather, on Facebook, Heather Thomas, Instagram, h.n.thomas, Twitter at Heather W. Thomas. And you can hear some of my narrations on creepy tales to terrify, pseudopod, and the wicked library. You can check me out on Instagram under Frothy Star Dog. Yeah, girl. <laughs> yeah, girl. <laughs> and you can find me on Instagram and Facebook, although I don't know why I'm still on Facebook, um, by yeah, searching for Christopher Weber. <laughs> kind of phasing that Dude, shit up. Dude, yeah, creepy. Yeah, well, I just like, I know it's like, you know, all social media is basically a cesspool now, but it's yeah, just yeah. like, fuck Facebook and fuck their like, practices i don't know exactly just, and yeah. also have you heard of um people like not getting jobs because uh what's the word when they search through your social media history uh kind of stalking i think i, I think it's, yeah. it's called stalking no just... well no no you're right yes but there's like another <laughs> no, I, know, yeah, I know what you mean like vetting or something yeah i'm not sure what the word is sure yeah yeah they they look look to see like you know that's nothing new. They... that's been going on yeah. for a long oh, time oh i sure. i know but mm-hmm. it's just yeah. like We've all been on Facebook since we were, you know, fucking idiot teenagers I know. and stuff. I it's know. Just so bad. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Uh, yeah. And Facebook has been a platform for the, you know, for some genocides in like Africa and, and uh, a couple other countries and the rise of a dictator. Yeah. All right, you guys. We're going <laughs> to. So, Facebook. <laughs> I'm gonna How go, can we make this more depressing? I'm going to go watch yeah. those <laughs> things I found on Reddit videos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you for um, hanging in this, hanging in there with us on this episode. Uh, yeah. it's a, it's a, it was a rough run. Mm-hmm. A, riff, a rough run? Yeah. Sorry, a rough one. Yes. Next, we'll think of a very fun one and, to uh, do next. Yeah, we'll try to do a lighter one next time. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think... 
Do a kind of a little, a little bit of a palate cleanser mm-hmm. for sure. Something yeah. about poop or something. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Would you like haunted poos? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for listening. We'll be back with another episode, and we will see you next time. Bye. Take care of yourself, baby. Thank you.